0: If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. Now we're gonna talk about socialism versus capitalism. I don't know how familiar you are with these two terms but capitalism is kind of this idea that the market would be free that there would be very little government regulation or intrusion into the economic system and socialism says that there should be a significant amount of oversight in the economic system and so There's this tension between those two ideologies. On the one hand, there is the argument that in order to get the best out of the economy, in order for there to be the highest levels of creativity, entrepreneurship, and productivity, then people need to be free to work as they see fit. And then there is the argument for socialism that says If people are left just to do what they want to do freely, then there will be all kinds of abuses to the system, and so we have to take abuse out of the system, and we have to make sure that everybody is treated fairly. And so you can see the appeal of both systems. Um, There's this same conflict in... The debate that the Apostle Paul is engaging in in First Corinthians. Uh, we're going to cover eight and nine and 10 today, chapters eight, nine and 10. And one of the, sort of the, the main issue that the Apostle Paul is addressing is freedom in Christ. And so that's talking about this tension between the free market. And the controlled market. Um, the free market, the free moral market, was created by Christ. He died for our freedom. And religion is like socialism, it's legislated morality. And Paul is arguing for some particular things, but at the root of it is this question of freedom in Christ. How far does it really go? And when it gets abused, what should be the corrective action? So, some of you are maybe trying to figure out whether or not I support the free market or socialism. I'm not going to give that answer directly, necessarily this morning, uh, but uh, we are going to start by reading uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter um, chapter eight here in just a few minutes. but I want to, uh, I want to pull out a couple of other verses from First from Corinthians uh, to talk about uh, just the, the difference between freedom in Christ in terms of, like, governmental structure within the church and, and not freedom or a religion of rules. So, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and because he's an apostle, he has authority over the church, And he is actually the founding pastor of the church at Corinth. And so if any particular apostle would have more authority over the church at Corinth than other apostles, it would be him because he's the founding apostle. And so he has sort of, you know, other than Jesus, he has sort of this ultimate place of authority with that local congregation. So he could have... Just made demands about how people ought to live. But I want to share just a couple of phrases that Paul uses, and I think this captures uh, the spirit of Christianity. Uh, so the first one is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. This is after Paul gives his, his greeting, just a, you know, a, a general or sort of a polite spiritual greeting. And then in verse 10 is sort of really where he starts to get into uh, what he's after. And he starts with these words. He starts with, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters. And I think this captures the spirit of Christianity because this is what Jesus does for us. He appeals to us. This is what God does for us. He appeals to us. Or he invites us. Might be a, a word that we would uh, would understand a bit better. So, if your friend invites you over to their house, are you obligated to go? No. Now, God is sovereign; He has all power, and so God could just tell you to be a follower of Christ. And if He told you to do that, if He demanded it of you, you would have no choice because He is sovereign over this world. But that is not the way that he approaches us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 15 is another example. Paul, in the middle of his argument for um, not eating food, sacrificed to idols, he says, you are reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I am saying is true. And so, these are invitations for people to, on their own, with a rational mind and with a willing heart and mind, to step into obedience. That is different than having morality legislated to you. So in the Old Testament, we have the Old Testament law where God prescribes or legislates a way of life and tells people that if you live by this way, in fact, I demand that you live by this way, if you do this, then life will go well for you. And if you do not do this, then life will go poorly for you. And he goes a step further. If you don't live by my covenant, by my commands, then you will not be saved. You're not gonna make it. There's no hope for you. But Jesus comes along and does this extraordinary thing. Jesus comes along and he meets the requirements of the law. He satisfies all of God's commands and demands on our behalf and he gives us that freedom so that we no longer have to satisfy God's demands, commands, requirements, anything. We're free. That's what we call the good news of Jesus Christ. We're free. When people ask how to become a follower of Christ, we don't give them the Ten Commandments, do we? Instead, we say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, then you will be saved. We talk about just placing our faith in Christ, faith in the fact that he has done all the work necessary for our salvation. And this is what separates Christianity, the Christian faith, from any other religion, is that there is nothing for us to do. It is all already done. That's what we call the good news of Jesus Christ. So, let's imagine for a moment that you had been trying to live a moral life, trying to find your way to God, trying to do right things but you found yourself failing over and over again, and imagine that somebody came and told you that you didn't have to try anymore. Imagine that somebody came and told you that you didn't have to worry about rules, laws, regulations, past behavior, future behavior, that that was all taken care of for you by Jesus. That because of what Jesus did on the cross, you were going to be offered eternal life, regardless of what you had done in the past, regardless of what you do in the future. You were going to be offered eternal life because of Jesus' work on the cross. Just imagine somebody telling you that. Well, there are a couple of different responses that people tend to have to that. One response is, whoa, yeah, have your attention? And then they spend the rest of their lives just doing that over and over. God, you are so absolutely amazing for providing this freedom for me. What would you like me to do? I'm all yours. I'm completely surrendered to you. You are worthy of my worship. You are worthy of all that I am. That's one response. The other response is, huh? That's pretty cool. I guess I guess I'm free. I guess I'm free to do whatever I want to do. I guess I'm free to do all the things I want to do. Huh. That's cool. You see the difference? Well, the specific issue in 1 Corinthians 8 that Paul is dealing with is an elite group of corinthians who are probably uh, upper class Uh, they are socially mobile Uh, they are going to uh, the most popular dinner parties around which include uh, idol worship this food is sacrificed to uh, you know the idol that is in that restaurant and there's a ceremony done And then uh, there's a party, and this party includes often um, the drinking of alcohol in significant portions. It includes often uh, sexual activity of a variety of types. And these people who are knowledgeable Christians know that they are free in Christ. And they know that there's no judgment in Christ. And so they know that they are free to do anything. Paul writes, Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols. Yes, we know, and then in quotes, and this means or likely means that he is referring to their letter to him or a common phrase that they would use. He says, We know that, and then in quotes, We all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. Or in other um, translations it says, the person who loves has full knowledge. So, here's something for us to understand. If our our increased understanding of the Bible leads us to be less loving, less considerate of others, more self-centered, more self-seeking, then we are becoming a fool. Also, if we focus on what we can or can't do, then we're missing the point we have simply moved ourselves back to a religion of rules. If our question within the church is, how far can we go as Christians to have the things that we really wanted before we became Christians? If that's our question, if that's what we're trying to figure out, if we're trying to find, you know, like tax loopholes to get out of, you know, Paying our, our moral taxes, then we're sort of missing the point. Does that make sense? Um, let me give you some, some examples uh, of how this might apply in our day. Uh, perhaps you've had a friend say, uh, I don't need to go to church in order to be a Christian. Um, technically, I'm just going to give you something that might surprise you, but technically, that's true. Uh, Think about the thief on the cross. We use him in a lot of examples. Uh, The thief on the cross, as far as we know, never attended a Sunday morning church service. But as far as we know, he is in paradise with Jesus. So therefore, you don't need to be a Christian, or you don't need to attend church to be a Christian. Do you see, though, that it's time for something to happen because that alarm just went off? <laughs> Do you see, though, that that could get you, that kind of thinking, that kind of technical loophole seeking thinking, could get you into a significant amount of trouble? Because you would be disconnected from the church, and the church is this incredible organization that God created so that people's spiritual needs might be met, so that people might have a glimpse of heaven on earth, so that people might begin to understand what it is like to experience the community that the Trinity experiences, and so on. I could talk about the value of the church for quite some time. And, and so you would be missing out on that incredible experience if you bought into this technicality of, well, I can be a Christian without going to church. And if you use that technicality to say, watch football on Sunday mornings instead of coming to church. Did I just get anybody? Maybe people watching online. I don't know. So you can see how Getting into this kind of mindset when we are reading the scriptures, when we're trying to flush out what, what God wants of us um, can be a problem. Um, how about this one? It's okay to watch films with nudity, violence, or obscene language while being a Christian because it doesn't have to affect your spiritual life. That might be true. you, You could possibly create a scenario where that might be true. But it's very unlikely that it's true. Do you see how dangerous this is? when we start diving into this well i'm i'm free in christ i mean let's start with that i'm free in christ so i can do anything which is technically true right i mean jesus didn't say i'm going to die for all of your sins up to a point he just said i'm You know, he's the atoning sacrifice for the whole world. Done. Well, let's read on. Uh, Starting in verse 9. Paul writes, But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For For if others see you, With your superior knowledge, notice the quotes. Eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So if what I cause or so if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Uh, Alaska is full of meat eaters. Would you be willing to become a vegetarian? Paul's being sarcastic here in his statement, but if, if that were actually the case, I'm quite certain Paul would say, forget meat. It's not that important. Are we willing to completely change the way that we live and operate because of the people around us who might be affected by the way that we live, by the decisions that we make? Are we aware of the level of our influence On the people around us? Are we aware that when we rationalize a certain behavior, that it might not affect us as much as it might affect somebody else? And that we might be destroying somebody else's spiritual life. Well, let's move on. 1 Corinthians 9, um, the Apostle Paul begins by defending himself as an apostle and trying to help the Corinthian church understand why it is that he has operated in the way that he has. Uh, Then he goes into uh, this section starting in verse 19, which is where uh, where we will pick up. And he invites people to put the gospel before dignity. So you may have noticed the, the title slide. It talks about being undignified in our pursuit of the lost. So uh, one of the reasons it's titled that is because I tried to come up with titles that all started with The letter U. So, uh, several weeks ago, we started this uh, series with Paul's appeal for the church to be united, and then we talked about uh, the church community being unlike anything else in the world in terms of how we operate with each other, and this morning is about being undignified in the pursuit of the lost. So, why do we call it that, or why are we saying it that way? Paul is inviting the Corinthian church to understand why he has given up dignity in order to, in the best possible way, pursue uh, the lost people in Corinth. Um, Think about Paul as one of the most educated people in his culture. He has the entire Old Testament memorized. He has been trained in uh, the best of, you know, Greek thought. Um, He is highly educated and could very easily get a job as uh, one of the uh, most popular teachers and orators of his day. Uh, He is highly, highly skilled in his ability to, to teach. There's only one instance in all of uh, what we have recorded of one person falling asleep while he was teaching. Sorry, if you haven't been in the church very long, you might not get that joke. Um, Paul, instead of using this status that he had instead of you know, having letters written from the church in Jerusalem and, and uh, you know, having a, a, a massive entourage coming into Corinth, and, and instead of just hanging out in the synagogue and, uh, where he would have been uh, you know, highly respected because of his uh, rabbinical status, instead of just doing those things and sticking with his dignity, his comfort zone, and, and enjoying the privileges that he had earned with the hard work, that he had put in over the course of his life, instead of enjoying that dignity, instead he stepped down into an undignified position, that of, of uh, an, an artisan, a, a tradesman in those days. Uh, he, was a, a le- he worked as a leather worker, a tent maker. And he refused patronage, he refused donations from wealthy people who offered to support him in his teaching ministry because he wanted to teach the church of Corinth what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And it means that we leave behind our dignity in order to pursue others, in order to engage with the people around us. So, uh, starting in verse 19... Paul writes, even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. This is what Paul is trying to get the church to dive into. He's appealing to them. He's appealing to their rational minds, saying, look what I've done, look how I've done it, and I want to invite you into this life. Uh, he's talking here specifically about um, dietary issues and other traditions, Jewish traditions versus Gentile, because we're talking about you know, food being sacrificed to idols and, and so on. So he, he uses food as an example. He says, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. So, Paul is very aware of his freedom in Christ. He defends it over and over and over again in all of his writings. He's very aware of his freedom in Christ. He's very aware that he does not any longer have to live by the old Jewish law. But when he's around Jewish people, oh, he toes the line. He crosses every T, dots every I. He does it perfectly. He goes overboard. And remember, Paul... Is a Pharisee among Pharisees, he knows how to get it right, and he does, because he wants an opportunity to share with Jewish people about freedom in Christ. Then he says, starting in verse 21, When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. And so, he's essentially saying, when I'm with the Gentiles, I have bacon. Mmm, and I like it. But he's also balancing it with, I don't just leave morality behind. I live under the law of Christ. And that's a new law. Let's read further. When I was... When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in all its blessings. So, maybe for us that means to live more simply in order to be able to give more. Maybe it means for us that we ought to be quick to do what others disdain. Maybe for us it means giving up personal entertainment in exchange for kingdom impact. Do you guys catch that one? How many of you like uh, entertainment? We have one person who does like entertainment. There's two. All right, we're getting we're getting more onto it here. Uh, giving up personal entertainment in exchange for kingdom impact. Um. Just a fun story, Would you like a fun story uh, i My dad was recently uh, here, and uh, we were talking about different things and uh, we were talking about the denomination that we grew up in uh, the Church of God holiness it was called, and uh, there were there were rules like actually. Printed rules of the church, things that you needed to adhere to in order to participate with that church um, that were extra biblical. Uh, they were things like, for example, uh, women could not wear pants. They needed to wear dresses. Uh, no jewelry was allowed. Um, men could not wear shorts. They needed to wear pants. They needed to have sleeves that covered their elbows because everybody knows that men's elbows are super sexy. One of the interesting rules was that Christians, or members of that church, were not to go to any sporting events. Whoa. And I actually wasn't aware of this, even though I grew up in that denomination, because it turns out my dad cheated on that rule, and we regularly went to sporting events, Uh, We were even allowed to play sports within that denomination. That was highly critiqued, but I never knew about it. Uh, My dad told me a funny story about when he and another pastor friend in the same denomination decided to go to a Kansas City Kings game, which the Sacramento Kings NBA team, they used to be in Kansas City anyways. They decided to go to uh, a game, and this other pastor friend was quite nervous because he shouldn't be there. Anyways, they went to the game. They enjoyed it. They went home, and this other pastor friend received a note under his door that said, you were seen at the Kings game. He was very, very nervous. Uh, My dad explained, listen, it was an anonymous note, so they don't want to be known, but uh, we have to assume a couple things about this other person. You know, they... They're obviously okay with going to the Kings game themselves. And if they say anything, well, they're in trouble too. So they were safe. Um, I will say this, though. I think that in my own life, I spend a lot of time being entertained and seeking entertainment. And I honestly struggle when there's not enough entertainment or the right entertainment. And I think I probably spend too much of my energy and effort pursuing entertainment. Maybe you're in that same boat. All right. I'm, we could spend more time on that, but I'm going to move on. Chapter 10, starting in verse 27. Uh, Paul wraps the discussion up. He says, If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. In the parentheses, no. But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it. Out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? And here's Paul's uh, maxim for us. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that they, or so that many, may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Paul looked at the life of Jesus and he saw something. He saw that Jesus Became absolutely undignified in his pursuit of the lost. He saw that at the end, Jesus had his beard ripped out, that he was spat upon, that he was mocked, that he was stripped, that he was flogged, and that he was crucified. And he saw that the God of heaven did that on his behalf. And so he made a determination in his own life that he would do whatever. Necessary. He would become as undignified as he needed to become in order to save as many as possible. So, how is God asking you to become undignified? How is he asking you to use your time, your energy, and your resources not on yourself, but in an undignified manner on somebody else to stop building your own kingdom and start investing in God's kingdom? Let's pray. Father, we ask that uh, he would watch over us, that you would help us uh, just respond to you well, respond to your incredible grace that we would use our freedom to freely serve uh, the people around us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us become undignified, that we would stop pursuing our own advance and devote ourselves fully and completely to the advance of the people around us, people who need to know you, people who need your love and your encouragement. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. from 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. All right, thank you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week, if not before. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks, and this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends and we will see you next week.